Well, I have a confession this morning. And I think this is the right time and this is the right place for me to share this. I love musicals. I love the classics. I love Sound of Music, Mary Poppins. I love Les Miserables. I even like that one about Bruno, if you are familiar with that one, and Canto, although we're not supposed to talk about Bruno. But one of my favorite musicals in recent history is The Greatest Showman. Anybody seen The Greatest Showman? Okay, a few of you. For those of you who aren't familiar, it stars Hugh Jackman, and it tells the story of P.T. Barnum, the founder of Barnum and Bailey Circus. And there is a, actually, an interesting fact, he was actually born here in Connecticut and lived most of his life in Connecticut. Well, there is a very interesting scene in the movie where P.T. Barnum is sitting there talking with Philip Carlyle, who's played by Zac Efron of High School Musical fame, and he's trying to convince Philip Carlyle to partner with him, to come join him in the circus. And Carlyle is refusing, and P.T. Barnum is continuing to try to convince him. And eventually, you know, P.T. Barnum says, why? Why do you continue to refuse? And Philip Carlyle says something very interesting. He says, let's just say I find it much more comfortable watching your show from afar. And P.T. Barnum's response was, ah, comfort, the enemy of progress. And there's a lot of truth in that saying. You can think about different aspects of your life. You can think about your work. You can think about athletics, you can think about school, and yeah, generally, when you get comfortable, what happens? Well, you tend to put in minimal effort, avoid things that would require more of you, and as a result, stop growing. And ultimately, you don't have the impact that you could have. And even in some cases, there might be more severe consequences, might lose your job. So there's this danger in comfort. And comfort is not only an enemy in those areas of life, work, athletics, school. It also presents a very real danger in our spiritual lives as well. And what we'll see this morning is that God, in his word, is calling each one of us to step out of our spiritual comfort zones for our good and for the good of others. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This can be found on page 1007 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read verses 19 through 31. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment 
do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In the text that we just read, we see three exhortations that are given to us as those who in Christ now have a new confidence with Christ as our great high priest. The first one is seen in verse 22, and it is directed to God. It said, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The second exhortation is found in 23, and this is in regards to the world around us. It says that, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Then the third exhortation, this is going to be our focus this morning, is found in verses 24 through 25, and this brings it right here into the life of the church, the body of Christ. And what we're going to see is three responsibilities each one of us have to one another. Three ways God is calling us to step out of our comfort zones. And what we're going to see is these three things are connected to each other, but I want to unpack each one individually for all of us today. And those three responsibilities are these. We are to stir up one another. We are to meet with one another. And finally, we are to encourage one another. Stir up one another. First, in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. It starts with consider. This is the same word that we read earlier in chapter 3, where it says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. This word consider is really to fix the mind upon. It actually could be translated as to observe, to behold. And so we're called to consider one another, to fix our minds, our attention upon one another. And to what purpose? To stir up. This is a fascinating, fascinating word in the original language. This language of to stir up, actually commonly in the New Testament, is translated as to provoke. So we're to provoke each other. Stir up one another. It can be translated as to stimulate. And actually it's used in a negative connotation in Acts 15, where Barnabas and Paul, they said, had a sharp disagreement, a contention. Well, how are we to understand this? We're to stir up one another, provoke one another, incite one another. Well, I think at the heart of it is our goal, our aim is to cause a reaction in one another. So I was the youngest, well, I guess I still am, the youngest of four children. I have uh, three older siblings, three older sisters, and I can tell you right now that as a kid, I spent a lot of time thinking of how to provoke my older siblings. As quite successful at it, they would tell you. And it seems that I have passed that skill on to the next generation. <laughs> so in my house, I have two girls, two boys, and my youngest son recently got something for his birthday kids. Maybe you're familiar with this. It's something called globbles. And so Crayola makes them. They're these colorful balls. They're sticky. You throw them against the wall. They'll stick against the wall for a long period of time. They're squishy. Kids have a lot of fun with them. Well, one day I see my one of my daughters laying on the couch, relaxing, reading her book. And I see one of my sons take one of these globbles. Look at it. Look at her, relaxing. Look at the globble. Kind of walk over close to her and stick it to the ceiling right above her. So my sister or my daughter looks up and, oh, great. But well, they stick for a very long period of time. So you kind of forget that they're there. 
So after a while, my daughter's talking to my wife and I who are sitting on the couch, and there it goes, hits her in the head. So my wife and I stifle our laughter, and then we see my daughter grab the ball and say, very funny, kind of put it next to her. Well, my son looks at this situation, leaves the room, comes back, and with seconds, there's like five more globules on the ceiling above her. Such industry, such such energy he put in to provoke, let's just say he got the desired reaction that he wanted out of his sister. Well, God is calling each one of us to a thoughtful provocation of our spiritual siblings, but to a much greater end, and that is to love and to good works. And yes, we are saved by grace through faith alone. But a faith without works, as James said, is dead. So each one of us is to be devoted, committed to good works. And God has gifted each member of his church with gifts to use for the sake of the body. I'll put it to you this way. There are no non-essential workers in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us is gifted and called to use our gifts in the life of the church. And our responsibility with one another is to stir up one another to those love, to love and to the good deeds. How? That's probably what you're thinking right now. How can I stir that up in my brothers and sisters? Well, there are several things that could be said here. I'm going to give you two things to consider this morning. Number one, you cannot stir up one another to love and to good deeds at a distance. We have to know each other. I've been in a lot of airports lately, and it's just amazing. You walk through these airports, and people from all over the world walking past you, and I don't know a single, I haven't, don't recognize any of them, don't know a single one of them. I have no clue how to stir them up to love and to good deeds. Don't know what their gifts are, what their abilities are. Here in the life of the church, we need to be developing relationships with one another, and not just at the surface level. We need to really get to know one another if we're going to be able to stir one up, one another up to love and to good deeds. And our church provides a variety of opportunities to do that. We have shepherding groups, discipleship groups. We have backyard fellowships. We have midweek recharges. My question to you this morning is, are you taking advantage of those opportunities to get to know your brothers and sisters? How well do you know one another? If we want to effectively stir one another up to love and to good deeds, we have to know each other. So take advantage. Find opportunities to get to know one another at that deeper level so that you can stir one another up effectively. The second thing, though, is if we are, we need to consider how to stir one another up to love and to good deeds, well, set the example. Matthew Henry said, A good example given to others is the best and most effectual provocation to love and good works. So for each one of us sitting here, standing here today, are we modeling for others a life of loving and living for Jesus? When those opportunities come up to serve, do we kind of do the, hmm, that sounds like a good opportunity for somebody. Or do we raise our hands, hey, I'll do it. And others see that model, they see that example, and can imitate and follow along. Use your gifts in the life of the church. Let others see that example and let them follow That is a way of stirring up one another, provoking one another to love and to good deeds. Maybe we're saying, that sounds very uncomfortable. It sounds, you know, we got to stir up one another, provoke one another to these love and good deeds. Well, God has not called any of us to watch from afar. That is the clear message. We are to come into close contact with one another, know each other 
stir one another up to serve in Christ's name. So the first responsibility we see here is to stir up one another. The second in the text says, Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Meeting. This word in their Greek is episynagoge. You see that word in there? Synagoge. Synagogue. What this word refers to is a gathering, assembling together of God's people. And it says here that we are not to neglect the gathering of God's people together. It was interesting as I was kind of reading through this, there's you know, some a lot of debate over it. What exactly does this mean? What exactly are we not to neglect? Does this, for instance, include every event, every activity in the life of the church? We are to be there? And that people kind of can get caught up in some of those dynamics. And I will say to you, no, I don't think it applies to every single event uh, that the church has, every single activity. But I will say this. At an absolute minimum, it applies to the physical gathering of God's people for corporate worship on the Lord's Day. At an absolute minimum. And God's Word here says that we are not to neglect meeting together. At my work, maybe you guys have this as well, but uh, I it's all in Microsoft Office, so my calendar is managed through the calendar function in Microsoft Outlook. And when you get a meeting invitation, it has required attendees and optional attendees. And sometimes I'm listed as an optional attendee. And I never know how to feel about that. Like, well, is, are you being like sensitive to my schedule? Which is very nice. Appreciate that. Or are you saying you're really not that important? You know, we can do this meeting with or without you. Well, in the meeting invitation for the gathering of God's people here for worship on the Lord's Day, there are no optional attendees. Now, yes, there will always be extraordinary circumstances. I know there are certain health conditions might prohibit some from physically gathering. There will be blizzards. There will be sickness. There will be car trouble. Yes, completely agree and acknowledge that. But in general, the regular practice of God's people on His day when we gather together for worship, is that we're, we're to be here with one another. And why is this so important? Why is the author stressing that here? Don't Some have made it a habit to not gather together. Do not neglect meeting together. What, why, what is so important? Why is it so critical? What is the danger here if we don't? Well, I'm going to see, I guess we have some young kids here. There was, many of our kids are away at a Fairmont trip down in West Virginia this week. But for some of you younger people, there was this thing where we used to flip through channels to see what was on TV. Do you guys remember that? Some of you may remember actually walking across the room to turn the channels. But when I grew up, it was you would you'd flip through the channels to see what was on TV. I know today you kind of have voice control and you have guides on online and things like that. Well, when I would do that and flip through the channels with the remote, I'd sit there, go through the channels to see what else was on TV, my thumb would always stop on one particular channel. I couldn't get it to keep going. And that was the Nature Channel. Anybody ever have that experience? It's just me. Okay. So I get to that channel, and I, my thumb would freeze. Why would it freeze? Well, because you'd have that scene. It'd be like the African prairie. You'd have that bull that had kind of wandered away from the herd. And what do you see in the tall grass coming? The lions. The lions coming, surrounding it. Vulnerable to attack. Easy prey. Yes, I kept watching. I was not that sanctified, so I did see what would happen after the lions came. 
But what we should learn from that is that the Bible says Satan prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. And there is nothing he would love more to get you away from the pack. And why? Why does he want you away when God's people gather on the Lord's Day? Well, we need to understand what happens here when we do gather. When we come together, when we worship together, pray together, sing together, commune with one another, God, by His Spirit, is encouraging our hearts. He is equipping us. He is renewing us. He is strengthening us, unifying us. And so, yes, Satan does not want any of that to happen. So when we come here, and yes, you know, every Lord's Day we're worshiping together, ultimately we are made stronger, in a sense even recreated by gathering together with God's people. As one commentator said, the powers of Satan are overthrown and his mischief is neutralized. So we need to not neglect meeting together. We have a responsibility, not just for our good, but for the good of the sake of the body of Christ, to gather together and to meet with one another. We die alone, for on its own each member loses fire. Yet joined in one, the flame burns on to give warmth and light and to inspire. So understand the importance of meeting together. My question for you is, how high of a priority are you placing on gathering with God's people on his day? Is it a mindset of, well, if it's convenient, or if nothing else is going on that weekend, or are you purposefully structuring your week so that nothing interferes with gathering with God's people on his day? Work is done. Errands are run. Everything is in order so that you can be with God's people. And Don't miss this. The promise of blessing that God gives, if you remember the Sabbath day and if you keep it holy. In Isaiah 58, it said, if you honor the Sabbath, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, I think we can add there, or comfort, then I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. What a promise that is given if we do not neglect meeting together and if we honor the Lord's day. So, stir up one another. Meet with one another. And the final responsibility we see here is Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another. The language here, over and over and over again in the New Testament, this word is not translated as encourage. It's actually translated as exhort or urge one another. There is something urgent that is pressing here that we need to be exhorting one another, urging one another. Well, what is in view here? I think what is in view is what we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. If you recall, it said, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here it is, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here I think is what I think is in view. The Christian life is hard. Jesus never sugarcoated any of this. Didn't try to hide anything. There's no bait and switch with Jesus. He said the way is hard that leads to life. And retreating back to the old, more comfortable ways can lead to ultimately falling away completely. I think that's the danger and the urgency for why we need to be exhorting each other daily. Now I want to be clear, when we see this text here talk about falling away, it is not talking or speaking of losing our salvation. Many have gotten confused at this passage, other passages in Hebrews, to think 
that somehow if we can fall away and lose salvation that was already ours. That is not what the text is teaching here. Rather, as Jesus said, this is seed that falls on rocky ground who hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, yet they have no root in themselves. And so when the hard times come, tribulation, persecution, they immediately fall away, is what Jesus said. That is what is in view here. And the danger that we need to see of being comfortable and ultimately falling away is what awaits for those who abandon, this is really apostasy that is in view here, abandon the faith and and walk away from it. In verse 26 it says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we need to be encouraging one another, exhorting one another, urging one another every day and all the more as the day draws near. Several years ago, my family and I were at the beach with our extended family uh, on my wife's side and getting towards the end of the day. And my wife was sitting there near the water with her sister and another sister-in-law, just relaxing. They were so comfortable, talking, having a great time. And I started to notice that the water was coming in. And so, me being a good guy, said, hey, the tide's coming in. Maybe we should move our stuff back. They're like, eh, whatever. They were comfortable. They were enjoying themselves, having a good time. Okay, so I kind of grabbed my stuff, moved it back several yards. Came up to them again and said, hey, it's getting close. You guys should get your bags, your blankets. Everything is laid out here, your chairs. You want to move it back a little bit? Tide's coming in. They're like, no, we're fine. They're very comfortable. All right, I went back and sat down. And I watched the waves crash over top of them, over all of their stuff. Everything was soaked. No, I didn't help them. Sorry. But it went over everything. And kind of simultaneously, they all turned around and looked back at me. And one thing I could say is, now I know how Noah felt, right? Just didn't move a muscle. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, the tide is coming in. The day is drawing near. Don't get comfortable. Don't, as the language of Hebrews will continue on to say, don't shrink back. We need to be exhorting one another every day, just like Barnabas exhorted the church in Antioch, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Is there someone you know right now that may be drifting away? Don't be silent. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's awkward. But love is uncomfortable sometimes. Love speaks. If there's someone you know who is drifting away, you haven't seen them gathering with God's people, they're not stirring up or being stirred up, pursue. Go after them in love. But there is another dynamic here that I want to point out in terms of exhorting one another as the body of Christ. Yes, we exhort one another. The day draws near. The day of the Lord is coming. We exhort people, don't shrink back. Don't fall away. There is another dimension here. I was born in Pontiac, Michigan, and for a few years I lived with my grandparents, our whole family that lived with them. And I was a hyperactive child. My parents tell me that when I was very young I'd be in the crib as a baby and would rock aggressively and bang my head against the side of the crib. And when I was a little bit older as a toddler, I, at 3 a.m. I'd go into the living room and rock aggressively until the rocking chair would fall over, and then I would just fall asleep there. 
some of you are sitting here going, this explains a lot, Brian, about you. But I would get tired. And I still recall there'd be times where I'd be with my grandparents, they had this blue Chevy Caprice, and I'd be in the back seat, and I would ask that classic kid question, are we there yet? How much longer till we're home? And my parents, or grandparents who were from the South, would always say the same thing. They would say, it's just up the road a piece. And that encouragement would get me the rest of the way home. Well, brothers and sisters, home is just up the road a piece. The day is drawing near. Again, this Christian life is hard. We will grow weary. We will be tired. But as Hebrews 10, the end of Hebrews 10 says, we are not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's just up the road a piece. An eternity of comfort awaits us. And it's nearer now than when we first believed. So press on. Don't shrink back. Press on. We're almost home. So, Three ways we need to step out of our comfort zones. We need to stir up one another to love and to good deeds. We need to be committed to gathering with one another. And we need to be encouraging and exhorting one another. And again, all the more as we see the day drawing near. Now we all know leaving here, it's going to be easier just to do nothing. Right? Think about other areas of our life where we know we need to make a change. It's so much easier to do nothing. So where can we find the courage to step out of our spiritual comfort zones. As Thomas Chalmers put it, we need the expulsive power of a new affection. Our love for comfort, our love for ease, needs to be supplanted with love for the one who stepped out of his comfort zone for us. Think of Jesus, the Son of God, from all eternity in a perfect, mutually loving relationship with the Father and the Spirit receiving adoration and honor, worship and glory. And when he saw us in our wretched state of sin and misery, didn't watch from afar. But he stepped out. And he made himself infinitely uncomfortable for us. Took on flesh. He became like us. He bore our sin and our shame. He suffered for us. And he died for us. Would you now step out for him? Comfort is the enemy of progress. But getting uncomfortable for Christ and for his kingdom is the path to growth and to ultimate blessing, both now and for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would disturb each one of us this morning to not grow comfortable to not be at ease, Lord, but rather to um, move out from ourselves towards one another out of love for you and love for each other. I do pray, Lord, that you would take our lives and that you would let them be consecrated to you, every aspect, Lord, ever only, all for you. Would you do this work in us by your Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.